power of the dark side. I'm not a baby, I'm a man. I am an anchor man. Is this a kissing book? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hello and welcome to episode three of Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie, providing digital content and marketing solutions for SMEs throughout Ireland and the UK. Every week, our podcast explores and discusses what is happening in the Irish film industry and beyond. I'm your host, Gary Kelly, and in this week's show, we'll be speaking again to Lisa Tracy and Karen Dorian about the documentary Photo City and the movies The Cured and The Leisure Seeker. We'll also be speaking to co-director of Photo City, John Murphy as well, so make sure you stay listening for that. First up, joining me in our loft studios in Galway City is Lisa and Kieran to first talk about Photo City. Rochester's going to have that resonance forever of George Eastman and Kodak. And I find that really keeps this idea of photography alive in Rochester too, because there's so many photographers so many photographers, but that's a reality. Just because their environment affects them, and I want to see what they can take away from that environment. Show me who you are. Show me, take me on a walk. Show me what you look at. So that's a clip taken from the documentary Photo City, funded by the Arts Council. And as I said, we'll be speaking to the co-director and editor of it, John Murphy, later on in this podcast. Lisa got to see the documentary last night. Kieran checked it out earlier in the week. Lisa, could you summarise what Photo City is about? It's about Rochester, New York and Kodak and the effect it had on the, the city and lots of different varying camera enthusiasts and photographers and just people who generally worked in Kodak and people from the area. And it was just a, it was a pretty good documentary to tell you all about Rochester, New York. Yeah, at the time, in its peak, Kodak had employed 66,000 people and within 20 years that dwindled down to just 6,000 people. Kieran, did you find it sad, the story of what happened to that town or that city, Rochester? Yeah, it's, it's a little sad in ways, and it's it's probably atypical as well of, of sort of the American dream of these cities being built around a core industry and then what happens when that industry disappears and sometimes it disappears overnight and the knock-on effect that has to people working directly for the factory and to all the kind of people who are kind of connected through second-party and third-party ways. It's a great kind of little documentary exploring the creative and photographic community in that city and it kind of works whereas a lot of documentaries might might, might show the collapse of a coal mine and mm. the knock-on effects of this this is the the collapse of of an artistic industry and how the knock-on of that on the artistic community and how the artistic community has helped the other community to kind of weather the storm of this happening and how they kind of bandied together and and through it it, it takes a, um, a little microcosm of that city and through the, the characters that the documentary picks, we get a history and a feel for the overall place. And I think it's, it's quite successful in, in that regard. Yeah, I thought the cinematography myself was stunning and I, I loved the music. And um, I know that John Murphy, actually, he met the music composer through Kilna Scully, which John edited. And this guy was actually working, I think, as a driver on Kilna Scully at the time. Wow. And that's how they met up. But I, I really loved the music. And 
I thought some of the, the editing in it as well was quite stylistic. There's some lovely moments and lovely images within the film it, itself. Um, there's one, one child, his mother spends a lot of the time uh, photographing people in a, a sort of a halfway house or a sort of dropout shelter. And he, you see him going around in this kind of over, oversized army fatigue jacket and that. And then we get to spend a little moment with him and we realize his dad is in the army and he's gone for a moment and then the capture the camera just lingers on him a little while in silence and it's just a very simple emotive moment and all throughout the documentary there's just little moments like that there's also there's a really good image of this elderly man who who did a lot of some of the famous model photography for Kodak and that and then he's got all these life-size I don't want to give too much away but he's mm -hmm. got these amazing life-size cutouts of all these gleaning models from the 60s and 70s. Sybil Shepherd being one of them. Oh. I was wondering, was it her? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, she, was she? she looked stunning in her day, <laughs> has to be said. <laughs> she did. Yeah, even in cardboard cutout, she still, <laughs> she still has it. But there's just a lovely, lovely image of him framed in the attic with all these kind of, um, these cardboard cutouts. Like, and the film's punctuated through little moments like that, as you say, the, the, the camera work and the editing. And every so often it cuts this great shot of, of the Kodak building taken from different parts of the city. And it kind of, looms large mm. over the city and it's a, a it's a quite a good metaphor for for the everlasting effect that company had in it okay so out of five lisa three and a half okay which is high for a documentary for me yeah so lisa gives photo city three out of five Kieran, what will you give it yeah i'd give it i'd give it the four i, I have a keen interest in photography so there's a lot of stuff in there that I really liked, but I, I think it, it goes beyond people are, who are camera files and it becomes a, a, a really nice social document of, of a city trying to survive. Okay, so that's a photo city and uh, John Murphy will be joining us later to talk further about us and give us more insight into the making of that documentary that he spent six months editing. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, well, let's uh, take a look at what is making the headlines in the world of film and television this week. Now, this could get quite controversial and we could probably make a number of podcasts about it. But anyways, Claire Foy, the actress, says the controversy over her pay for The Crown has opened her eyes and has ultimately been a positive thing. It was revealed uh, last month she was paid less than her co-star Matt Smith for their roles on the Netflix drama The Crown. The programme makers have apologised and said in the future no one will be paid more than the actress who plays the Queen. Okay, now what do you make of this whole furore over the fact that Matt Smith was being paid more than Claire Foy in The Crown? Here's my question. Who was Claire Foy before The Crown? Exactly. Yeah, Matt Smith, Matt Smith was already Doctor, Doctor who. who. You know, you can't... It's... Oh, it's... I could go on and on and on. But Kieran, I won't. Kieran, you go. Yeah, you you <laughs> yeah. look like you're ready to launch here. <laughs> <laughs> Always ready to launch. I know what you're saying. Yeah, he's the, he's the, the bigger name, the star of Billing, but the TV show is The Crown and it's it's about the, the Queen and it didn't matter who was, was there. You know, you could have brought his pay down to hers, but having her at a different, when she is the, the lead Bill and will be carrying this series, I think it would have sent out a good message from the start to give her equal pay or even more pay. But let's say they're doing a documentary about Marilyn Monroe and some, you know, new young actress who we don't know does a great performance of Marilyn Monroe and Tom Cruise plays Arthur Miller, for example. I mean, Tom Cruise is going to be bringing a certain amount of... Kudos to the movie. Exactly. Yeah. So if you say, look, Tom, we're giving Doris, you know, two grand a week. Are you okay with that? I'm sure he loved the story, but will he be able to commit to just working off two grand a week? 
and I doubt it somehow. Yeah, I mean, like, are we getting a bit OTT? Everyone loves the idea of equality, but surely there has to be a certain amount of pragmatism that comes into it as well. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And I think it's something that's kind of evolving. I see your point there, but I, I do think it's a good idea that they have agreed that she, she is going to get the same price. And I remember, was it when Iron Man came out? Terrence Howard played Tony Stark's sidekick. And Love he, Terrence Howard. Yeah, but he, he was paid, getting paid more for a side character role in Iron Man than Robert Downey Jr. was. And that's why he was replaced. No, he didn't. That's why he was replaced <laughs> by Don Shadal in no. the later films. No, and I don't he think so. and he had more creative control in it as well, and he was trying to change the script and that, and that is why Terence Howard was doesn't appear and that was replaced by Don Shadow. There's a disparity in pay across across the board. Well, if that story isn't <laughs> true, we don't claim any liability. With <laughs> yeah, sue me. <laughs> Kieran lives in Trinidad and Tobago. If you're looking for <laughs> and and then I suppose if we were to flip it to the other side, then where you know you have a female supporting actor getting paid more than the male lead mm-hmm. which could be the case in many things but we just don't hear about them like say for example like House of Cards mm. if Robin Wright is getting paid more than like Kevin Spacey or something if Kevin Spacey wasn't Kevin Spacey we're not which you probably will get Spacey. paid more than him at this stage anyway. yeah probably yeah. but uh, if it was that it was that case I don't think anyone would bat an eyelid about no. it because it's certainly when you come to the table and you're looking for funding or financing for a project you know, it's the big name you it's want. The it's big not the, that you're it's not the sex to it of that's the going to get the funders it's the to actual name, the paycheck. it's what they bring to it. Yeah, it's an argument or a discussion, shall we say, that uh, could go on for a long time. But uh, can I just confirm that Lisa's getting twice <laughs> what I'm getting <laughs> for this? So two times zero is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin says he avoids watching Home Alone. I know this is riveting stuff here. The actor told the Ellen Jenner show. That he tries not to leave his house around Christmas because the movie's playing all the time, calling it background radiation. The 37-year-old <laughs> rose to fame playing Kevin in the 1990 film. So ironically, he won't leave the house because of the fame from Home Alone. There's probably... <laughs> th- there, there's Interesting. <laughs> there's a meta film to be made in there <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. Have you gotten to see Can't Cope, Won't Cope season two back on no, Irish but television? I want to because every time I see the ads for it, I'm like, oh, that looks like it's funny. I watched three episodes of the first series and I, I had to turn it off. I, th- I thought <gasps> it was terrible. I think the, the main actress is, is, is fantastic, but I thought the rest of it was, was pretty bad. I thought the writing was really bad. The humor doesn't land and they're just unlikable characters doing unlikable things. I loved oh. it. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you? But then again, some of the stuff I'm forced to watch at home, it would be a standard Forced to watch. Yeah. Dun, dun, controversial. <laughs> 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 okay, next up, we are going to take a look at the Irish movie, The Cured. I called earlier, but you weren't in. Where did you go? Killing Hill. Oh, nice. It's good to see you bonding. It must be tough at the accommodation center. After the bombing. At least they arrested someone. She didn't act alone. Well, there's a lot of anger out there, you know? Particularly with the elimination. Maybe it's for the best. Dr. Lyons will find a cure. What if she can't? She needs time. One of them gets out and and we're right back there. We're all in danger. Not all of us. It's late. You need to go. 
Can I ask you something? Do you think we deserve forgiveness? Yes. And if you were faced with a man that killed your husband, would you forgive him? That's a clip taken from David Franey's new movie, The Cured, and the voice you would have been hearing there quite prominent was Tom Vaughan Lawler, who's been in pretty much every prominent Irish production. For the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, Sam Keeley featured in that scene as well. And he was in The Misfits and he was also in a show I enjoyed on Irish television, Raw, yeah, which was Raw. based in a, in a restaurant in Dublin there. And I, they had a couple of series and... I, I fell in Might love with Jojo and everything and then Aww. we just stopped the show. Oh, yeah. they all got too powerful. Yeah. So Wildcard Distribution are behind The Cured and I know Kieran got to see a horror film last week that he enjoyed, which was Thoroughbreds. What did you think of this week's horror movie? Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I, I think it's the type of films that we, we should be making in Ireland and that. I thought it was exciting. It was entertaining. You could tell at certain points that the low budget, it, it was straining some of it but for the for the majority of it i thought it was an excellent film just explain a little bit what it's about i don't want to give too much away because it's 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 very kind of tightly plotted in that but this kind of comes up in the opening uh, crawl of text at the end but it's set quite ingeniously after a zombie outbreak where they've managed to find the cure for the zombie for the plague and now that those people that were affected are cured they're being rehabilitated back into society and um, it's it's something I've never seen in a zombie film before, and it's a really kind of good idea. And from there becomes a jumping off point is that that these people that have done some horrible crimes when they were when they were sick are now cured. But the main kind of hook of the film is that they remember what they did while they were doing it. So it's how they managed to come back to society and how they managed to deal with that on a personal level and how society itself manages to deal with them as well. There are a few shocks that I jumped at quite a few times. Yeah. Oh, so it is edge of your seat stuff as well. Oh, it's very edge of the seat. It's a lot like, um, is it 28 Weeks Later? That yes. kind of film. Uh, that, and it was shot in and around like uh, North Dublin and Central Dublin. And it works on many levels. I think on the first level, it works really well as a horror film. It's entertaining. You get your shocks. You get your scares. It's really nail biting and, and it's very exciting. And then... There's other sort of socio-political levels to it as well. If you want to mm. get those about, you know, those who have committed crimes, how can they be forgiven? Can all, they be yeah. forgiven? And how and what happens when you oppress a people? Yeah, what is going to happen to them? And that you know, so there's little nods to our own kind of history of terrorism, and there's a little nod to like sort of direct provision and stuff like that. And it, it's but none of that. The metaphor never gets away in in sort of the menace essentially, which which I kind of liked. If you like zombie horror and if you like a good chiller, it's like, it's good because, mm. you know, your man, Tom Vaughan Lawler is, is he's chilling. A, he's excellent in it, yeah. Like he, he just, he just you good. see him and then he just appears and then it's like, oh God, there yeah, he is again. There's oh. a few moments of like, he'll just walk into frame and you're like, oh no, this, is, <laughs> the, the, this, this isn't good. And to be honest, I thought there were so many good ideas in it and so many, I, I'd love to see this developed into a television series. I think there's enough material there. And an Irish movie that I can recommend without, you know, <laughs> talking about it being like a depressing movie. Yeah. It's not, it's the first zombie it's movie. A happy it's not zombie depressing. Movie. Yeah. Well, happy. Rainbows Ooh, and, and definitely they left it open for a sequel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I was looking at the, the Irish box office just before I came in and there's two horror films in there. There's A Quiet Place and the other one, Truth or Dare, which is, is, isn't that good. This totally belongs up there. Yeah, I was hoping mm. Truth or Dare would be good, but it's not getting strong reviews at all. No. I didn't think the trailer was any good. <laughs> 
Okay, so that is the cures. Let's give it a score. I would score. give it a four. Four out of five. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give it a four point five out of, uh, out oh, of four point five. Ooh, yeah. yeah, edging me up there. Excellent. So that is the cured in Irish cinemas nationwide at the moment. Next up, the Leisure Seeker. Kids, we won't be gone long. You know that Dad can't drive in his condition. Where are we? We're not home. No, hon. This is Pennsylvania. What the dickens are we doing in Pennsylvania? This is just something I really need to do with your father. Who's that? That's the littlest one. He's got a name, and it's Will. Well, yeah, William. Who are these people? Your nephews and nieces. No, they're students. My husband suffers from memory loss, and I'm afraid he might just wander off and get hurt. Yeah! me something. Don't leave me. Oh, I promise. Oh, I can't believe I'm married to somebody as beautiful as you. You folks need a hand? Triple A will be here in just a minute. Give me a purse. It's in the camper. Just like eight bucks in here. Make sure the safety's off before you start shooting them, sweetheart. Already done it, hon. Okay, that's a clip taken from the movie The Leisure Seeker starring Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. So it's a runaway couple who go on an unforgettable journey in their RV called the Leisure Seeker. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes on, uh, it becomes obvious that Don Sutherland has dementia. That's not the only thing we learn. Helen Mirren isn't well either. She's dying. Spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> Is this just... <laughs> it's, a, it's actually revealed it's in the trailer. A, it's yeah. funny-ish. But like, it's not like it doesn't. It maybe I'm heartless or something anymore. But I did not get like weepy or anything at any point in this film. Yeah, I really wanted to like this movie, and when I seen the trailer, I was quite quite moved by it, uh, by the trailer, and I thought it was a it's sort of a good idea. We're getting to see, not to sound ageist or patronizing, we're starting to see sort of a, a another star, demographic, another demographic, and a star vehicle sort of for for older people and that. And I think with the subject matter, I thought it was okay. A nice idea to tr- treat it with a sort of a, a lighter touch in a way. But in the end, it just, it was all very inoffensive and kind of nice. And it just really didn't do it for me. And, yeah. and I think as soon as I had left the cinema, I'd forgotten about it, which is probably the worst thing you can say about yeah. any, any film, really, that it's just a little bland. And I, I think, I, like I said, I wanted to like it more. And I wanted to be moved and it just didn't just didn't do it for me and it left no. me a little hollow on the inside. Yeah, me too. What are you supposed to come away with after watching the movie? What sort of uh, message kind of are you supposed to take from it? And Rent travel, an RV, <laughs> yeah. travel around. But they didn't actually, okay, they got into some madcap adventures, mm. but not that many. Like he forgot her at the, the filling station. Mm. Um, so she had to get on a funny. bike. That was funny, funny-ish. <laughs> and then the funnier part was when he... He tried to open a bottle in the RV and he like swerved and then a police car chased him to say, hey, man, you're swerving there. And, you know, and it was like, OK, so this is going to get funny at some point. He's going to get arrested. But no. But mm. then oh, she does dump him off at a retirement home when she got sick of him. And when she found out that he may have been having an affair for a while back in the 70s, they didn't pull on the heartstrings. There was no point in the movie where I thought, oh, they're lovely. And did, did and the I'm movie sorry end with you smiling die. or drying those tears? I wasn't either. I was smiling because I got to leave the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's pretty bad. This is probably the harshest review we've yeah. had yet. Sorry, sorry. I didn't think it was that bad, but <laughs> I, I, I get, what you're, get what you're saying. You were just like, annoyed because it was sunny outside. I know. I, I missed it. I missed it on a sunny day. <laughs> 
Okay, well, there you go. That's a beautiful review of The Leisure Seeker starring Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland there by Two Lisa out of five. Two out of five? Yeah. <laughs> Just to be argumentative, I'll, I'll go three. Oh. Go 3.5. 3.5, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, listen, Lisa and Karen, as ever, thank you very much for coming in and joining us today in our GQ Media recording studios. Right now, let's head over and join the co-director and editor of Photo City, John Murphy, who I spoke to last night at the iCinema. Can't afford marketing personnel for your business? Don't worry, just head over to gkmedia.ie where you could have your very own professional marketing team for less than 100 euro per week. Check out our marketing solutions packages by visiting gkmedia.ie. I'm delighted to be joined now by the co-director and editor of Photo City, John Murphy. John, thanks for joining us on Just Like in the Movies. Cheers, Gary. Delighted to be here. How did you come across such a remarkable story for a man from the west of Ireland based in Dublin? Well, actually, uh, it kind of started in Galway. So I work as a film editor and oftentimes when I would get paid, uh, especially if I hadn't been paid in a while, I would go down to Charlie Burns and buy a photography book from the back of their the store. And uh, one day I came across a, a book about Rochester and I, I always thought it was a, a really interesting story. And I kind of put it in my back pocket and then a few years later, um, the Arts Council put a call out for feature length documentaries about the arts. And I kind of had this in my back pocket and I contacted the photographer and we had a chat about it and she kind of pointed me in a few different directions and then uh, we decided, yeah, let's make a film about this. So I got in touch with my co-director, uh, Trelok Amuraku. Um, Trelok lives in Canada, but is from Cork, and he was living in Montreal at the time, which is about an hour away from Rochester. So it kind of made sense that he, would, he was able to go down and kind of meet people. And, uh, he'd a, he's a big background in casting, so he was able to kind of know what the type of people you need for a doc like this. And a doc like this, a largely, it largely is in the casting, whether it's successful or not. So it was handy having Trelok in, Canada, but it must have been quite a daunting experience as well, making a documentary that was based in a city that was a good five to six hour flight away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we didn't have the luxury to go over, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury to go over and kind of do a lot of work checking the place out, apart from the week before we shot. You are kind of, ha you do have to make kind of assumptions about the city and about the place. And that can be kind of daunting. Now, thankfully, all of our assumptions kind of were true, so it wasn't too big. There was lots of surprises when we got there. But, yeah, it was it was daunting. Even getting equipment, uh, hiring crew, all that, it's, just, it's exponentially a lot more difficult than it would be if you're doing the dock in Ireland, you know. So for a first-time director doing a, a dock, it's kind of, like, tough going, yeah. yeah. You have a huge amount of interviewees in it. How did you gather such a huge mix, diverse and interesting amount of characters to feature in Photo City? Like I said, Trelock had a, has a big background in casting. So does our producer, Surika. So they went a couple of months before shooting started just for a weekend and kind of met a few people. And everyone we met was so giving with their time that they kind of led us on to somebody else and somebody else. And then sometimes it was just by pure kind of accident. I mean, one of the people in the film, Frank Dublaze, who, who takes kind of vintage era 1950s photographs, I met him just because I was in the record store that his wife works in buying records early one morning and she said, you got to meet my husband. And I kind of met them and myself, I, I rang Trelock and said, yeah, we, we, have, we have to find room for somebody else because this guy is great. So, you know, we allowed room for accents to happen and 
uh, which they did. But also, I think we were just really lucky, really, to be honest. I think it's interesting. We could have gone in another two weeks and it would have been 20 different people and it would have been a different film. Not better or worse, but just different. So how often were you back and forth between New York and Ireland for the shoot? Just the once. I went over a week before shooting began and Trelock joined me and then our crew arrived over and we shot for 13 days and that was it. We kind of always talked that we might go back and get pickups, but it never happened. Fortunately, the weather when we were there, they had 10 days in a row over 90 degrees and they only usually have 12 a year. So they had 10 in a row. So it was crazy hot. And a lot of the time, it, it's a city that gets a lot of snow. So when we were editing, by the time it was coming around to doing pickups, it was going to be six feet of snow and our shoot was glorious sunshine. So it wouldn't have matched. So we didn't, we never went back. You know. For those who aren't familiar with your own portfolio of work, you directed Stacks, A Homecoming with Andreas de Stack. Uh, so this would be uh, the second documentary that you've directed, but you've edited a huge amount of work that people would be familiar with, including Kilna Scully and a lot of Tommy Tiernan's DVDs. Going from doing that element of editing comedy to such a serious documentary like Photo City, is there a huge difference f- for you as an editor approaching that piece of work or is it just it's raw material and you got to make it into a narrative structure? I mean, I suppose the big difference was just getting out of the edit suite and being on location because even the film you mentioned, Stacks, was kind of, it was very controlled. It was mostly shot live in, a, in one place, whereas this was out on location and dealing with all the practical issues that you have with that and the kind of the random things that can happen. So that was different. Um, you know, I cut a lot of different, different types of documentaries. So I guess it was useful in that I kind of knew what I didn't want to do as well as what I did want to do. So, you know, that helped with some of our approach for certain things. I mean, you know, like I didn't want a drone shot in it. That's an example, you know. Uh, yeah, I see a lot of drone shots uh, as an editor. So things like that. You just kind of had an idea in your head what you didn't want as well as what you did, you know. So it informed it in that sense. And it also informed it in terms of you just kind of know what has value beyond it looking good yeah, or, or sounding good. You know what to kind of aim for and what to focus in on. And editing gives you a great grounding in that because ultimately it's all about story. And if, you're, if your job is kind of telling stories every week, then when you come to shooting something, you know that that's the goal to focus on rather than it being... And I think our film is beautiful and aesthetically beautiful, but it, it, that was our, it was always story first. At times watching the documentary... Rochester, it does feel like a bit of a sad city. It's a city that was thriving at one stage during the 20th century and then just this massive industry kind of dwindled away and it left uh, some scars within the community and a lot of unemployment. But what do you think, even for Irish people, that we can learn from the story of Photo City? Well, it's interesting, actually. I come from just outside Tume. And when I was a kid growing up, the sugar factory closed. I remember digital closing in Goa City and how deeply affected the communities were by those huge closures. And the same is true for every every little town and village around Ireland. They all have the stories of factory closing and what that means to a community. So when we were heading over, we expected there to be a real palpable sense of anger and frustration that such a large company could be allowed fail we actually found was that people were broadly speaking hopeful and optimistic about the future ultimately rochester was kind of fortunate in that it wasn't detroit you know when the automotive industry fell apart in detroit that largely affected people working on the factory floor but because there was a certain level of 
uh, Kodak had always looked after staff very well. You had to have a bit of an education to work there. So a lot of people diversified once they left and created other jobs. So the city has evolved rather than kind of, um, this. like I said, the scars are still very clear and they do break along kind of, the poverty line does break very much along racial lines and that is an, an issue in itself in Rochester. But it is very noticeable that it isn't quite as downbeat as I thought it would be. So the story is sad, but I think it is tinged with a certain degree of hope for the future. And maybe it's because we were outsiders. People were a little bit more, they were very proud of their city and very, they wanted to portray it in a very positive light. Yeah, and they're certainly keeping up the tradition as well and taking pride in still carrying on the craft of photography in Rochester. One thing we should mention as well is that you've actually shown this documentary to the people of Rochester. How did that go down? Yeah, just a few days ago, um, it went great. You know, and obviously you're always a little bit nervous about showing a film to the contributors and you're showing themselves to themselves. But yeah, it went very well. Uh, You know, we had a couple of sold out screenings and uh, people said some really lovely things to us at the Q&As and afterwards. It was really worthwhile uh, and everyone was really, really positive about the film. So it was was great, you know. Uh, Actually, a lot of people said it to us that it was a really good, accurate, depiction of where they're at right now as and they were kind of grateful that we we didn't lean too heavily on the kind of past and that we kind of focus more on the present day so it it, because the film isn't a potted history of kodak and what happened it isn't a potted history of the city of rochester that history is revealed through the personal lives of people so i think they kind of appreciated the approach and they appreciated the honesty and frankness of all the contributors and i think they also appreciated the fact that we we kind of went to a few places that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have gone to, you know, um, and that we tackled some kind of important issues about race, about poverty, about photographers' responsibility to document that and also to document their own personal and private lives. Finally, John, you're working in the industry for about 17 years now and you're making a, a living out of it, which is great. For someone who wants to kind of start off in the film or television industry, what sort of little nuggets of advice would you give them? I'd say keep busy is the primary thing, you know. I mean, I think if you're starting out, there's a lot more uh, leeway to make mistakes now in the way that there wasn't maybe 20 years ago. Everyone's looking for content in some way, shape or form. So you can get a really good grounding in all departments, which I think is really useful. I think it's important to learn the importance of sound, the importance of camera and the importance of editing and the importance of dealing uh, and how to deal with people and how to be, I think that's kind of a key thing. Uh, Like if you're sound to people, both in terms of people who might be in your films and if you're asking favors for people, they'll be sound back to you. It's also true that if you're trying to get work in a camera department or editorial department, people expect you to be able to do the job. There's no need to be nasty about anything. If you're sound, you'll go a long way. It's kind of the key thing, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, excellent, I fully agree. Well, John Murphy, co-director and editor of Photo City, thank you very much for joining us on Just Like In The Movies. And certainly we recommend to our listeners to keep an eye and an ear out on social media for the next screenings of Photo City. Thank you, Gary. Delighted to have been here. It was a lovely chat to you. Photography takes the three-dimensional world and compresses it and flattens it out into two dimensions. And that image is a document of that moment preserved in time forever is it becomes sort of a portal, obviously back into what's shown in the picture, but also shows how the photographer felt at the moment that he or she made that image. 
It's a slice of life. There you go. That's John Murphy, co-director and editor of Photo City. Thank you very much for listening to Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email movies at gkmedia.ie. And if you can do a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or whatever, we'd appreciate that too as well. Just be very nice. Don't be as harsh as Lisa would be. Uh, <laughs> <for> the <laughs> Sorry. Uh, next week, we'll be speaking to the CEO of the Irish Film Board, James Hickey. So make sure you listen to that. Until we talk to you next week, take care. Thank you.